time than the present. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I guess I'll be the gentleman right now. Um, folks, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. This is our daily look at the Torah portion for Thursday, August 5th, 2021. All right, so this uh, today's reading will be the fifth reading of the Torah portion of Re'eh. So I have it here ready on my side. Let me share my screen. We're going to jump right into the action. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22. So we're speaking about, as you know, we're speaking about, um, we're, we're reading about Moses' final speech, final words of inspiration to his peeps, to his folks, to his, uh, to his community before his passing. So Moses highlights big events of the past, important messages that they need to know for the future, as well as relevant mitzvot. Hold on, who is trying to join? Give me a second here. Oh. Let's give a warm DPP welcome to Sandrine. Sandrine, welcome. Good to have you. Thank you. All right, here we go. Oh, wow, we start with Aser to Aser. Are you kidding me? It doesn't get any better than this. Aser to Aser, the Torah says, you shall tithe. But it doesn't say you shall tithe. Aser to Aser. If you, if you hear how that sounds, there's a double phrase. Aser to Aser. Tithe, you shall tithe. In other words, you shall definitely do the tithe. You shall tithe all the seed crop that the field gives forth year by year. So here, this is the mitzvah. This is the commandment. What's known as meiser. Meiser is the tithe. Now, the original biblical tithe is specifically a farmer in Israel tithing the produce of, of, uh, of, of their field. So it's a tenth. You know, in Hebrew, eser is ten. Aser is the number 10. Asara, 10. Aser to Aser. Meiser is not 10, but a tenth. So one tenth. One, out of every, uh, one of every 10, whatever it is. So the mitzvah, the original biblical mitzvah of Meiser, which is the tithe, is specifically for farmers, crops, and Israel. And that's what, what Moses tells the people. Again, these are the people that, are, that will very soon be entering the land and Farming, starting to farm, because the mana will run out, so they'll need food. And what, what, should, what should you do with the food that comes up from the ground? You shall tithe all the seed crop every single year, year by year. It's not enough. So let me just explain. It's not enough to tithe once. Oh, yeah. The first time I planted and the first time it grew, I tithed. We're good to go, right? We're good for all time. Nope. Every single year. When the crop comes up, a tithe, you have to, you have to bring it into the temple and give it to the Levite. The tithe, the meiser, this tithe goes to the Levi, to the Levite. Um, and you shall, verse 23, and you shall eat. Oh, one second. Hold on. Hold on, hold on. Let me break this down. All right. Stay with me. Every single year, okay, before that, there is a seven-year cycle in the Jewish years or in whatever, seven-year cycle. We, we, we term this in Jewish terminology, the Shemitah cycle. What is Shemitah? We call, in English, it's called the sabbatical year. Every seventh year is the sabbatical year, which we'll talk about perhaps soon. But before we get to the sabbatical year, here's what you need to know. There's an objective seven-year cycle, and I'm going to give you the technical names. You ready? Year one, that was a joke. Year two, year three, year four, year five, year six... And you guessed it, year seven. Year seven is the Shemitah year, sabbatical year. Now, why do I do this? No farming, no harvesting, no planting, garnish, nothing. Don't touch your field. It grows. It does its own thing. You don't even officially own it. Anyone can come in and eat from it. And you can also, but it's not specifically yours. Every seven years, the seventh year is... Sabbatical year. Okay. But years one through six, and, and this was not a year one starts when you planted your field or when you bought your farm. Nope. There's an objective seven-year cycle. Are you with me on this? So let's just say the year 2000. 
in my ear is ringing Conan O'Brien's in the year 2000. If you know what that is, then you got the reference. If not, don't worry about it. Um, it's back in the 90s. It's a 90s reference. You guys remember Y2K? That went off without a hitch. Yeah, no, no big deal. I think some people's alarm clocks didn't work, but that was about it. Getting back to, to our story. So the sabbatical year was an objective cycle. So let's say the year 2000 is year one. Oh, that's going to be complicated. Let's say the year 2001 is year one. 2002 is year two. Three, four, five, six, seven. Boom. That's it. So whenever you start planting, it is what it is. You, you're, that's either year one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven. So here's how it works. Okay, for the tithes, I'm going to give you the breakdown. Year one, there are two tithes. You do a 10% and then you do another 10%. Okay, so you do a 10%. So let's say, let's make it simple. Let's say you grew, um, 100, sto 100 stocks of wheat. Do people grow stocks of wheat? Sure. Only 100? Probably not. But here's my number. 100 stocks of wheat come up. Boom. You got to give 10. Now you have 90. Of that 90, now you have to give another 10%. What's 10% of 90? 9. So now you give, right? So there's 10 plus 9. You with me on the math? Done. So you don't do 20%, right? You go 10% and then another 10%. It's like when you stack coupons, right? Okay, fine. Let's get back to the story. So the first tithe, year one. You ready? Let's go through the years. Year one. The first tithe goes to the Levite. That's called Maeser Rishon. The first tithe, you give 10%, to 10, the 10th to the Levi. There's a second tithe. What's the second tithe? We call that Maeser Shani, the second tithe. That's the next 10%. That is for you. And you take it, and you take it to Jerusalem, and you enjoy it near the temple. You eat it in the holy city of Jerusalem, the capital. What's the point? Well, if you're not giving it away, if you're not donating, if you're not, so what's the point? The point is that you rejoice in the holy city of Jerusalem, near the temple. You rejoice celebrating the incredible blessing that you have to have food, to have land, to have a farm, rain, the soil that's fertile, etc. And it's also a way to make sure that even, so listen, I'm, I'm giving you some commentary on this, that even a farmer, and I'm not, but I'm saying even someone who's literally, you know, hands and feet getting, you know, in the dirt, has a chance to take off time from that very physical, you know, farm labor and go to the big city, as it were, to go to the spiritual epicenter of Jewish life and connect with scholars and with the, the, the priests at the temple. Does that make sense what I'm saying? This is a way to connect society where you don't have a separation between the academics and the philosophers and the priests and, and, and you know that, and then you have farmers, right? There's, there's typically the way you know, um, societies fall out is that you know, things kind of move in different directions. This is a way of keeping everybody kind of together on the same page. So every year, year sorry, year one, Maeser Rishon, Maeser Shani, the first tithe is given to the Levite, second tithe, the farmer enjoys in Jerusalem. Second year, year two of the cycle, new crops come up, now it's 2002, in my example, 2002, once again, same deal, the first 10%, you bring and give to the Levite, the second 10% you enjoy in the temple or around the temple, Jerusalem. Third year, it changes. The first tithe you give to the Levite. You always give the first tithe to the Levite. But the second tithe is no longer for you to go to Jerusalem. We call this Meiser Ani. It's the tithe that is given to the Ani. You know what an Ani is in Hebrew? Uh, um, ayin, not, not Ani with an olive, but Ani with an, with an Ayin. Ani means the poor. The poor person. So Maeser Ani is the second tithe in the third year of the cycle that's given, that's not enjoyed by the farmer in Jerusalem, but rather it's given to the poor. Year four, back to the typical cycle, back to the typical process, which is you give a tenth to the Levite, a tenth you enjoy in Jerusalem. Year five, same deal. 
tenth to the Levite, a tenth for you. Year six is like year three. The first tithe goes to the Levite, but the second tithe is given to the poor person. So just to get clarity, years one and two and four and five. So of the seven-year cycle, one, two, four, and five. You give 10% to the Levite, 10% you enjoy in Jerusalem. Years three and six, 10% to the Levite, but 10% to the poor. And year seven, it's not yours. It's not your land. Yeah, you have the deed to it, but it's not. Don't farm, don't plant, don't harvest, don't reap, don't sow. You can, if there's some food, you can have it, but so can anyone else. All right, make sense? Yes, you got the tithing uh, protocol? All right, good. Now, let me just mention, when we talk about tithing today, so typically tithing is kind of conflated. It's kind of like merged together with the notion of tzedakah, giving charity. Now, how did that happen and what does that mean? Well, you only, you only do the agricultural tithe, which is what the Torah talks about. You only do the agricultural tithe when you have the majority of the Jewish people living in the land of Israel and you have a temple and you have a, a Levite who's working. I mean, it's, you only did it back in the day. So what happens when, there's no, when, when the Jews are exiled? So the, the mitzvah of Meister of tithing goes away. So what the rabbis instituted, and this was kind of, this was kind of based on the spirit of the, of the biblical law, what the rabbis instituted is something that's called Meister Ksafim, which is the tithe of money. And the idea is that our income, we should give 10%. To whom? You know, you would give it to the Levite and to you or to the Levite and the poor. By the way, the Levite was also in the category of poor. Not literally. I mean, I'm not saying that the, that the Levite was on, was, but the Levite was dependent on, on the community to take care of, of them because they didn't own land. They didn't have their own farm, right? They didn't, they didn't have their own source of income. So this was every year. You might have been, hold on, I just want to, Bavar, and I want to like uh, preempt something. You might have thought, hold on one second. So you're only giving to the poor the third and sixth year? You give to the Levite every year. And that's also giving to the poor because the Levite didn't have, a, didn't have an income. You're supporting the Levite. Year one, two, three, four, five, and six, you're supporting the Levite. It's, it's uh, the, the second tithe, so either you enjoy spiritually uplift or you give to the poor, to, to other recipients that are, that, that, are, that are needy. And by the way, in years one, two, four, and five, there are other community resources for those that don't have, right? Even when it comes to the field. Every year, in addition to all of this, I hope I'm not giving too much information, but I, but I hope I'm trying to paint the picture here. Every single year of the seven-year cycle, well, at least years one through six, the owner of the field, the farmer, would leave the corner of the field available for all those who wanted or needed to eat, for the poor. So there, there was always a, a, a network, not a network, a safety net. There was always the um, social um, programs to ensure that everyone had what they needed, right, rich or poor. Um, nonetheless, these are the specific protocols. But getting back to my point, so when, once the, the exile, you know, once we're no longer the majority in, in Israel and there's no temple, etc., so the, the, um, the Meiser, the tithe, is again this rabbinic version of it is Meister Ksafim, which is a tithe of income, and it becomes a very good thing to ideally to give ten percent of our income to tzedakah. It's certainly easier when we're uh, when we're used to it. So the goal is to train kids. So like when our kids when they do a lemonade stand on the belt line, which by the way is wildly successful, um, Baruch Hashem. They don't do it every week, but when they do it, it's like. It's great. It's great business. A lot of people going by and people are typically running and biking and, you know, etc. So the first thing they do, they get the money. The first thing is 10% tzedakah. Done. Easy. It's harder once you've pocketed it to then pull it out. This way, it's done. So some people have it set up automatically. When money comes in, 10% is automatically allocated. There are different ways to set it up. You know, speak to your financial advisor. But the idea would be, if you're, if you're interested in how, how MICER works, Right, so it would be a one-time miser of your assets, and then as new income comes in, it would be ten percent. Anyway, that would be the the overall protocol of miser. But again, the biblical mitzvah is specifically for farmers in the land of Israel. So let's get back to yeah. Sure. Um, so the seven years. Let's say a farmer 
sold his land, like on year three. I mean, is everyone on the same cycle? Does yes. a new owner pick it up at year three? Correct. Every, it's not. It's not an individual cycle. It's like an objective. It's it's completely objective. Universal calendar. Universal calendar. Exactly. Exactly. Just like when it comes to birth. Yeah. Whatever year we were born in doesn't become year zero. It would be awkward if everyone carried their own year, right? 2021, what are you talking about? It's Right, I mean, that would be complicated. It's a universal year. It's a universal cycle. All right, let's jump back into the Chumash. I felt like it was necessary to share this with you because of what we're about to say in verse 23. Because verse 23 talks about Meister Shani, the second tithe. That is enjoyed, I'm hoping you're getting the terminology. The first tithe always goes to the Levite. That's easy. The second tithe, most years, is enjoyed by the farmer. Four of the six years is enjoyed by the farmer. This is what it's talking about here. And you, the farmer, shall eat before the Lord your God in the place he chooses to establish his name therein. You know what that means? The farmer should take the second 10%. And go to the place that God has chosen as his holy city, which is Jerusalem. And what should you eat there? The tithes of your grain. This is the second tithe. It's the tithe of your grain, your wine, and your oil. And the firstborn of your cattle and of your sheep. That is what the farmer should take and enjoy in Jerusalem. So that you may learn to fear the Lord your God all these days. I feel like it's probably prudent to bring up Rashi. Um, and Rashi corroborates everything that I've told you thus far, as you'll see. This refers to Meiser Shani. That's exactly what I've been telling you today. Meiser Shani, the second tithe. Uh, oh, sorry, literally the second tithe, okay? For we have already learned to give Meiser Rishon, the first tithe, to the Levites. So the first tithe is always given to the Levites. The second tithe, you shall eat in Jerusalem. Um... Okay, fine. I'm going to skip that. There's some details. Okay, let's get back inside. Now, I know what you're asking. I know what you're thinking. I know what you guys are thinking. I can read your mind. You're thinking one second. So if I have a big farm, how am I going to schlep all this stuff? I'm going to put wagons of wheat and oil. And I mean, this is my sugar. I'm going to take a whole truck, an 18-wheeler truck, and go to Jerusalem with all my produce and eat it? That's, That's crazy. doesn't make sense. The Torah says, no, come on. But you've never heard of Bitcoin. You never heard of, uh, of, I'm kidding. The Torah says you never heard of, of, of selling and buying. Come on. Right? So here we go. The Torah says, verse 24, and If the way be too long for you, that you are unable to carry it, yeah? For the place where the, which the Lord your God will choose to establish his name therein is too far from you, for the Lord your God will bless you. So, Baruch Hashem, Hashem has blessed you, and you have a lot of stuff, and it's a big journey. So what should you do? Then, verse 25, then you shall turn it to money. In other words, you take that 10% and you sell it. And then you have the cash, right? So let's say 10% is $1,000. I don't know. I'm giving a round number. $5,000, whatever it is. You take the $1,000. Let's say $1,000. You sell it. You get the $1,000 and you take the cash. You should turn it to money. And bind up the money in your hand. Okay, maybe a wallet. Or maybe just put it in the bank and you get your ATM card. Whatever. And you shall go to the place the Lord your God will choose. So then you still go to Jerusalem. With the money. Are you with me? Does this make sense? Yes? Okay. And verse 26, you shall turn that money into whatever your soul desires. So you don't want to schlep all your stuff. So you just sell it. You get the money. You go to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem... You support the local restaurants, any economy, cattle, sheep, new wine, old wine, or whatever your soul desires. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. This is incredible. It's so cool. Listen, if we were to just speak on a social, on an economic level, socioeconomics, I mean, this is great. This ensures that, you know, Jerusalem has a bustling tourism economy. I don't know tourism, but a, a bustling economy. I mean, think about it. It's like everyone's going to Jerusalem at least once a year, all these farmers, and either they're bringing their own produce or they're selling their produce, 
converting it to cash, taking the cash, and then supporting the local economy in Jerusalem. It's fantastic. I'll open up a shawarma shop in Jerusalem. It's great. Farmers need to eat. They got cash, right? Plenty to spend. I may charge 50 bucks a shawarma. No big deal. Right? You got to anyway liquidate the cash. You got you to spend all of it on, on, on food. But what's incredible about this mitzvah is, this is a mitzvah I think we can all, all get behind. You know what this mitzvah is? Eat good food and enjoy. Where? In Jerusalem. Eat good food in Jerusalem and that's a mitzvah? Yeah. What's the catch? Make your own festive meal, right? Yeah. Yeah. This, this becomes a celebration. It becomes a party. It becomes like this incredible celebration. Is everyone going at the same time? I mean, I, you would think that it's probably in proximity because the farms are kind of producing at similar times. You can imagine the influx. I mean, it's, it's kind of cool if you think about it. Even if you don't think about it, it's kind of cool. But if you think about it, then you're aware of that it's kind of cool. Right? It's, it's pretty amazing. It's also, again, I, I'm just kind of I'm reflecting now that I'm talking about the kind of the social element of it. It's, it's really a cool way to ensure just economic health. There's also spiritual, spiritual connections that are going on, you know, because it's, um, the spiritual connection is, uh, and this is the point that I mentioned before, it's like you have a farmer who otherwise could remain completely disconnected from the spiritual center of Judaism, right? And be just 24 seven, 365, and just year after year after year on the farm, and that's it. Like, it's not me. I don't go to Jerusalem. I don't hang around with the temple. I'm a farmer. This breaks down those barriers and says, no, it doesn't matter. You're a farmer. Great. You're in Jerusalem now. And what are you going to do in Jerusalem? You can't work your, your farm. This is before they had, um, you know, smart tractors. You know, today you can control your tractor on your smartphone. I just made that up, but I'm sure you can do that. I have no idea, but I would bet Someone's working on that. You can control, okay, I'm just saying. At this point, there are smart appliances. You can control your oven, your refrigerator, your microwave. Yes, your dishwasher. It's crazy. So um, I just had a conversation with my kids through my doorbell, like right before the class. I'm just saying, like a video thing. And the other night they filmed a movie, their own like little short film, like doorbell style. like. What was that? What was that movie like years ago? The Blair Witch Project was that a thing? It was like shot like kind of like all shaky and whatnot. This is like the Ring Project. It's like like mystery on the seven eighty four Frederica. That's my address. Okay, back to our story. Back to our story. So this is the second tithe. It's enjoyed by the farmer. As you can probably tell, I really love this mitzvah because it's so much fun. Anyway, I, I would love. Be great to like experience that. Back inside, here we go. As, oh, look at this, short reading. And as for the Levite who is in your cities, you shall not forsake him. Don't forget about the Levite, for he has neither portion nor inheritance with you. Not portion nor inheritance. So, right, the Levite doesn't get land. The Levite has a place to live, but the Levite doesn't have a job to earn income. That's not, that's not the Levite's role. They have a specific role, serving God, serving the people in the temple, etc. Okay, and at the end of three years, at the end of three years, you shall take out all the tithe of your crop in that year and place it in your cities. Okay, let's see what that means. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the stranger and the orphan and the widow who are in your cities will come and eat and be satisfied. You know what that means? I hope, uh, uh, are, do you get what, what this is saying? This is what I told you before. Year one and two, and then year three. Year one and two, you enjoyed in Jerusalem. And at year three, you give it to the poor. So this is what it means. At the end of three years, right? Year one and two, and now three years, the year number three, then you take out the tithe of the crop, the second tithe, and you keep it in your cities. You don't go to Jerusalem with it. You keep it in your local economy. You keep it in your local city. And who do you give it to? Levite, but also the stranger and the orphan and the widow who are in your cities. They will come and eat and be satisfied so that the Lord your God will bless you in all the work of your hand that you will do. This last line, by the way, we're going to focus on and maybe do like a bit of a contemplation on this. 
in a second, but I just want, I, before we go deeper in this last verse, I want to make sure, the last little piece, I want to make sure that this, the, the core mitzvah is understood. So again, year one, you give to the Levite, and you enjoy it in Jerusalem. Year two, Levite, and you enjoy it. Year three, Levite, and you give it to the poor. You give it to the stranger, the orphan, and the widow. That's the Torah's way of referencing the, the ones that are in need. Now again, just to clarify, it's not only every three years that we think about those that are, those that are in need. It's every single day. Because in addition to this, I should have mentioned this before, my apologies. In addition to all of this, there's literally a mitzvah of tzedakah. So, okay, let me just backtrack for a second. I said before that nowadays people conflate meiser with tzedakah. There's two different mitzvahs, two different mitzvahs. Let me explain. Meiser, the tithe, is proactive. Tzedakah is reactive. Let me elaborate. The tithe means that I've earned $100, 10% I'm donating. That's it. 10% I'm giving. Right? I'm giving to a good cause, but I'm giving that. That's not tzedakah. Even though we call it today tzedakah, that's not the literal biblical mitzvah of tzedakah. This is meiser ksafim. This is rabbinic. Meiser, rabbinic, tithing, proactive tithing. What is the biblical mitzvah of tzedakah? You ready? I'll tell you what it is. If somebody is in need... And they, they, they either physically come to you or they call you or they reach out to you or you become aware of the need, then it's your obligation to satisfy the need. It's your, it's, and my obligation, right? It's our obligation to help one who is in need. How much? Yeah. Depends on how much they need. You with me? Tzedakah is based on the need of the recipient Meiser is based on 10% I'm giving. One is about the giver and one is about the recipient. Does that make sense? Now, both are both. Oh, wait, there's a giver and a recipient in both, in both contexts. But one is about me giving 10% and the other one is about, well, how much do you need? Now, I understand. I understand. If somebody has a big need, they need $10,000. They need $20,000, right? They come to me. So what, now I'm on the hook for $20,000? Obviously, you have to give what you, what you can give, you know, the most that you can give, right? And then hopefully, there's more, there's more than one person in the community to give. So, so the, 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 the need gets, gets shouldered by the collective, not by any one individual per se, but by the collective. You're not supposed to give more than 20% of your means. You're not, yeah. So the Talmud says that, that one shouldn't give more, but the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya that that's only you know, all things are fine and dandy. But if a person feels that for a tikkun, tikkun means like a repair, for their own soul, that they need to get stuck, because back in the day, people used to fast to, to spiritually, you know, cleanse themselves. But today, the Dr. Rebbe says, our bodies are weaker than it was than they were back then. And uh, listen, we're, uh, we're softer than they were back in the day. That's what he says. So fasting is not a thing that people can typically endure um, on a regular basis. So instead of fasting, we give tzedakah, but that is to, to help refine and repair the soul. So let me just finish the logic here. The author Rebbe says, if somebody went to a doctor and the doctor said you need medicine and the medicine cost, let's say, a lot of money, what would you say? I can only up to 20% of my income I can pay for medicine. You wouldn't say that, right? Not you. One wouldn't say that. They would say, whatever the medicine costs, I'll pay. So the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, when it comes to tzedakah, if it's about giving a tenth or whatever, that's one thing. But if it's, I recognize that there's elements of my soul that I want to refine or purify or fix, right? A tikkun, I want a, a spiritual cleanse, spiritual repair. So then there's no, there's no cap on that. Now, I would say best practice is not to give to the point that you can't give anymore because that's defeats. But the cap, also the no cap, I think, right? Doesn't it include also like volunteering, and pro bono services. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, if we're talking about tzedakah, then it, then it opens up a whole thing. But I think we'll talk about specifically when it comes to money because that's the context of what we're talking about. So, but, but again, I, just, I feel like I, I want to clarify the categories because these things get kind of mixed up in a chalant and then it's like we don't even know what we're talking about anymore. So here, there's two, there's two distinct mitzvahs. One is meiser, the tithe, which is proactive, 10%. I get 100 bucks. 
not thinking about it, 10%, 10 bucks are going to a good cause. That's one thing. The next thing is, if there's a need, I'm going to respond to the need. Ideally, I take it, I, I, I satisfy the need, in other words, I, I, I give what's needed. If I can't, then I give whatever I can, and the next, the next person helps with, with the need. These are two different mitzvahs. One is responsive. It's not what I'm giving. It's what they need. And the other one is what I'm giving. Okay. Why am I saying this? I have no idea anymore, but I just wanted to clarify this. But back to our narrative. Um, back to our narrative. What we're talking about here is the, oh, I know what I'm talking about. This is because it says in the third year, at the end of three years, in the third year, suddenly you're thinking about the, the, um, the stranger, the widow, and the orphan. Yeah, because year one, you give to the Levite and you eat it yourself in Jerusalem. Year two, Levite. Hey, Mark, you're a Levite. Hey, apparently, based on today's class, we're sending you lunch. So, oh. Yeah, no, 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 don't, no, seriously, come on. No, don't take that too seriously, Mark. Come on. Uh, anyway, no, we're talking about Meister, the tithe, 10% that goes to the Levite. Um, let's, let's put it this way. Anything that I farm today... Mark, I will send your way. <laughs> Spoiler alert, I don't have a farm. So here's the deal. Um, 10%, year one, 10% goes to the Levite and to you. You enjoy it in Jerusalem. Year two, Levite and you. Year three, the end, that's what the Torah just said. At the end of three years, you don't go to Jerusalem with the 10% of food to enjoy it. You keep it in your city and who do you give it to? The stranger and the widow and the orphan. And it sounds beautiful. But then you ask yourself the question, one second, only once every three years we're going to think about those that are impoverished? What are they supposed to do the other two years? What, how are they supposed to live? And that's, why, that's, and that's why I said what I said. Because there's still the midst of tzedakah. Tzedakah means if somebody needs, you're giving. This is a different category of giving. I hope that makes sense. In addition to satisfying the need 24-7, 365 every single day of every single year that when somebody needs and they knock on the door, you give. In addition to that, every three years, you give a proactive 10% gift to, the, to, the, to those that are, that, are, that are less fortunate. But that's not saying that that's the only context of support. That's what I'm trying to say. So going back to the Torah, let me show you the verses inside that I'm focusing on. That was... That was um, verse 28, the end of three years, right? Year number three. You shall take out all the tithe of the crop and place it in your cities. Keep it in your cities. And the Levite and the stranger and the orphan and the widow, they will all come and eat and be satisfied. But that's not the only time they're going to eat and be satisfied. If they need, they will be helped. Um, let's take a quick look-see at Rashi. Let's see what Rashi is pointing out over here. Here we go. Um, Rashi clarifies that in year number three, oh, by the way, it's every three years. So it's year three and year six. Remember I told you it's year three and six. That means every three years because it's one, two, three, one, two, three. So it's one, two, three, four, five, six, and then seven is, seven is, is done. And then you start again, one, two, three, four, five, six, and then, Okay, here we go. So the Torah says that year number three and six, every three years, the Levite will come and take the first tithe, and the stranger, widow, and orphan will come and take the second tithe, which this year, the third and the seven-year cycle, belongs to the poor. This is everything that I literally, literally everything that I told you is right in this Rashi. So in years three and six, you take the second tithe, but this time it belongs to the poor. And you by yourself, and you yourself may not eat it in Jerusalem. You may not eat it in Jerusalem. Don't take it to Jerusalem and enjoy it in the manner you were required to eat the second tithe in the first two years of the cycle. The first two years of the cycle, you were supposed to take the food, go to Jerusalem and enjoy. And year three and six, do not do that. Give it to the, to the poor. Um, okay, I hope that makes sense. Now, I want to I highlight... Well, hold on. Let me just check in. Does that make sense? Yes? The tithing? Uh, yes, Ray. Are you giving them the money or the food? Excellent question. Excellent question. The whole thing of converting the food into cash was because of the travel to Jerusalem might be a little un, 
practical or impractical with the whole, you know, entourage of, of stuff. But if it's in your cities, if it's the local, right, the local populace, there's no reason to convert it into cash. This would be ideally giving the actual produce, the actual, the stuff, the food, directly to those that are impoverished. And again, I know I'm, I know I'm being a broken record, but I, 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 can't, I can't bear the thought of a misunderstanding here. There's a mitzvah every day of every year to support those that are in need. If somebody needs, we have to be there to support. This is something else. This is a proactive 10% gift. Every third, the third year and the sixth year, we give it. Okay, now I want to I highlight the last part of the last verse as promised, and I want to share with you an insight. So the Torah says, Hold on. Which translates here that when you do this, when you keep these laws of the tithe, you give to the Levite, you give to yourself, you give to the poor, that what that will cause is that the Lord your God will bless you in all the work of your hand that you will do. And here this highlights a beautiful message, something that we've spoken of before in different contexts, even in DBP, I believe. But I want to go maybe a little bit deeper today. So the premise here is that, that they're off, they're, 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 it's very possible and it happens often that we do work and the blessing is not there. What do I mean? You have somebody that works in, in, you know, in, 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 in business and they're trying to get clients and draw business and sales or whatever it is, contracts and, and the phone calls and the emails and the meetings are happening. It's not, it's not going anywhere. It's, 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 the deals are not being finalized. Things are falling through. Which means that there's two elements. There's the work of your hand, right? There's the work, I'm highlighting in, in, the, in, the, in the text here. There's the work of your hand. That's the, work, that's the physical effort that we put in. But then there's something else, and that is the blessing. Right? Bless you. Gesundheit. No, that's the blessing, right? The blessing is element number two, or really element number one. But there's two elements. There's the work that we do, and then there's the blessing. And you and I know from experience, sometimes we can work really, really hard, and we can put in a lot of time and effort, and we can... Pour our kishkas. You know what that means? Kishkas. You know what kishkas are? It's like the, your innards. You, yeah, you're, you're, you just pour your guts, everything into this deal. And nothing to show for it. No, no blessing. I mean, the blessing of hard work, but no actual cash. No, no deal. And sometimes you didn't do any work. And out of the blue, someone says, hey, I, have a, I know somebody who wants this, that, or the other. And, and, and the next thing you know, you have a deal. Out of nowhere. Anyone who's done any amount of business knows that this is a truth of life. That you can do all the work and get nothing. And you can relatively do very little work and get a huge windfall. That's the way it works in life. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't do work and we should rely on miracles? No. But what it also does is reminds us that there is not necessarily a direct line between the amount of work that we put in and the amount of blessing that comes, that, that comes to us. I mean, sometimes you see it, a lot of work, a lot of blessing, but there's enough times that it doesn't work that way, where the equation doesn't work, that reminds us that it's not a pure and absolute equation. Sometimes we do the work and there's no blessing, and sometimes we don't do the work, and there is a blessing. Which reminds us that the blessing, which illustrates, which demonstrates, conveying the message that the blessing is from God. It's, God, it's God's blessing. And so Moses says to the people, guys, you're going into the land. And a lot of y'all are going to be, because he, he was from the south, a lot of y'all are going to be farmers. Kidding. Right? You guys are going to be farmers. I think most of the tribes ultimately were were in agriculture on some level. You're going to be, a lot of you are going to be farmers, and this is your obligation. You got to take care of the Levites. You got to take care of those that are less fortunate than you. You got to take care of 
you know, your own spiritual integrity and go to Jerusalem and eat and enjoy, etc. You got to do this. If you just get in the land and like me, 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 I'm not going to give anything. I'm not going to look at anyone else. Let them worry about themselves. I got my own farm, my own family to feed. Don't bother me. If that's the attitude, if this community turns into isolated individuals that put walls around themselves in walls of, I'm going to call it selfishness, but walls of really just like blinders, like don't tell me what anyone else needs. I don't want to know. I don't want to care. Like don't, don't bother me with anybody else. If that's the way it's going to work, then there's not going to be blessing. Hashem is not going to give the blessing. And the, 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 the best example that I can give from my own experience is when it comes to parenting. You know, when the kids are getting along, sure. Like, you're ready to go. Where do you, like, what do you guys want? Where do you want to go? Let's, let's do it. When there's, like, when there's, when everyone's for themselves, there's, there's a less inclination to give. Now, I'm not saying that you don't give. I'm just saying it's like Moses tells the people, I want you guys to take care of each other. You need to take care of each other. When you take care of each other, then the Lord your God will bless you in all the work of your hand that you will do. You're going to do work, but your work does not always equal, does not always correlate, does not always cause the blessing. The blessing is almost a different track. There's the work that you do and the blessing that comes down. And yes, the blessing will filter, will come through the pipe of your work, but the blessing has to be pulled through other means. The work doesn't pull the blessing. The work opens up the pipe, but the blessing has to be pulled from elsewhere. How do we pull the blessing down? It's based on how we take care of each other and how spiritually sensitive we are and how practic and on practical level sensitive we are to, to each other, etc., as we discussed today. So here's the important meditation, contemplation, whatever you want to call it. I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes and envision a field. But what I am going to say is, although maybe I, I should, but what I am going to say is just imagine or just recognize, and this is myself included speaking to myself, let's recognize that the blessing that we want, God wants to give it to us more than we want, we want to receive it. And we have to do work to open up the channel because God doesn't want to have to do a miracle for us. God's like, you want me to get it to you without any work? How am I supposed to do that? Like, you're going to sit and not do anything and I'm supposed to get you this, ca this cash? Like what? Uh, uh, an envelope, anonymous envelope should show up in your, uh, in your mailbox? Come on. Give me, give me an alibi. Let me, give me an excuse to get the money to you. So you got to work. You got to put in effort. That's why the Torah says, we need to do, that's what Moses says, it, the blessing will come in the work of your hand. It's a mitzvah to put in that effort. We got to put in the effort. But at the same time, we have to remember that it's not the work that pulls the blessing. It's God. So let's, let's, let's um, focus on this idea that the blessing is by God. And God wants to give us the blessing. All he wants is for us to keep our end of the deal, is to do what we need to do to make this world a better, kinder, more spiritual, more, more illuminated place. When we do what we need to do, God sends the blessing. Where? Through the channel of the work that we do. And thus, whether we'll work a little harder, a little less hard, the blessing's going to come. So we didn't make the phone call, but we were sitting at the desk when the phone call came in. Hey, are you still selling such and such? Yes, I am. I'd like a million of those. Done. So it should be for all of us that God should indeed bless the work of our hands. It also reminds us, this verse, that the work should be with the hands, not with the head. I've told this story before about the chassid who came to his rebbe and the rebbe said he, was, he made galoshes. We've talked about this before, like not that long ago. And the, Re the rebbe said to him, so a foot in galoshes I've seen, but a head in galoshes. So we shouldn't put our heads too much you got to think about the business and the work, obviously, but not to the point that it completely takes over our lives. Because what kind of life is that if it's only obsessed with the work and not the source and not those around us? So let's, as Stephen Covey once said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Let's prioritize what's really important and uh, the things that are not that important. 
let's understand their, their role. So work is important vis-a-vis that it channels God's blessings, but not as an end unto itself. Okay, that is... Yes? I have a question. Sure. Um, earlier on in this Pusik, it's the, the, where it says the Hagar. Yes. Uh, in my Rashi, that doesn't translate as, as, as stranger, it translates convert. Okay. So which is, which is more correct? I don't know. This is something that I, I, I haven't yet fully looked into it as far as the translations, but it's something that's come up before, a stranger, a convert. I don't know. I, it means the one, it's, it's referring to a vulnerable populace, vulnerable in the sense of maybe not having all the opportunities um, of, of everyone else. Now, in an ideal world, it should, never, it should never come to this, right? So a widow, orphan, a convert, a stranger, etc., someone who's, you know, not born into it or someone who experienced loss and, and tragedy should, should be embraced by the community and, and, and obviously taken care of. But the reality is that, that life is not always so simple, right? Life is not so simple. People are not, people are not so, uh, are always so generous or, or... listen, we would, I, we would love to live in a world in which even with kids that, 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 that there were no bullies, right? That kids wouldn't find the kid who's vulnerable and, and, and pick on them. But the world that we live in is a non-perfect world and people are people and we have our, our own stuff that we're working out and, and sometimes it manifests itself in a, in a not-so-friendly way. And so the Torah reminds us, I mean, I don't know if there's any other mitzvah that's repeated as often as this one. Like, watch out, be, not watch out in a negative way, but like, um, take care of, be attentive to the needs of the widow, the orphan, the stranger, or the convert, whatever, whatever that translation is. Um, because understanding the, the challenge of human nature, the Torah sees to it, the, the Torah feels the need to emphasize that and say you have to pay special attention to anyone who might be a little bit more vulnerable in society. So what's the exact translation? I don't know. But it's, it's someone who, who otherwise might be, you know, might, might, might be more vulnerable. And the message here is, we got to take care. We got to make a special emphasis not only to not do anything negative, but to go out of our way to do something positive. And multiple times in Torah, Hashem says, this is Moses speaking to the people about the, about the mitzvah of Miser, of tithing. But m- multiple times in the previous four books, God says, take care of the widow, the orphan, the stranger, because I have a special interest in them. And if you don't, you're messing with me. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, right? It's not like a word for word quote there. But that's, it's a powerful, it's a powerful thing. Um, yeah. Ray, did you have a question? Yeah. Yeah. So you said before that the work should be with the hand. Yes. The head. Correct. Okay. So I spent 61 years teaching Jewish children, and that's been with my head, not necessarily my hand. Ray, I mean, I, I'm sorry, but uh, you should not have been teaching Torah to kids for all these years. No, I'm joking. Of course I'm joking. Yeah, no, 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 no. This is not a bad thing. This is not a bad thing. Ray, this is the highest level. Are you kidding me? This is like high, high, highest level stuff. What, what the, the, what, so I'm, I was quoting from kind of the Hasidic interpretation of this verse about the head versus hands. And the, the spirit of this teaching is not with regards to education and teaching. That you, you use the head and it's a good thing. It's more referring to the other jobs that we have, which obviously require mindfulness and presence and, and, and awareness and understanding. And, and we have to use our seich, we have to use our heads, right? I mean, you have to, you have to use your, your, your brain when you work. But what it means is don't, go, don't get so consumed by the work to the point that it takes over your mind so that you can't live higher. But education, no, definitely use your head. Really, any job, always use your head. But don't, but, and education, be obsessed with it. But when it comes to the, the, the other labor, so to speak, then we have to be a little bit careful with, um, with not becoming too overwhelmed by it. Because it could be very, very, um, you know, it, it could go very quickly into a space where, um, you know, we, we, we forget about what's really important and we put our loved ones aside because I have to work, because I have to do this, that, or the other. Why? Because I need to, um, you know, answer that email. Why? Because they emailed me. 
Okay? I mean, I'm not saying don't answer emails. I'm just saying like, okay, fine. But we, it's, it's priorities. It's like, what's the most, okay, so, so the work, sure. But, but, but to become obsessed with it, to the point that it takes us away from our, I'll call them our higher obligations, that's when it's gone a bit too far. Okay, all right, my friends, it's great to see you all. I hope you enjoyed today's DPP um, and, and our little exploration of the tithing system. Um, all right, good. That's it. That's all I got for right now. <laughs> my pleasure, my pleasure. Sarah, great to see you. Olia, great to see you. Mark, great to see you. Sandrine, great to see you. Donna, great to see you. Ray, great to see you. Sandrine, it's great, to, it's great with the big screen. Hello. Right? Now, I, I can't see that, obviously, but you told us yesterday, so I'm just... I'm just I'm, see you all on the screen. See that? See that? That's now it's the Brady Bunch. Do, 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 do. We should all look around. Do, 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 do. Anywho, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. All right, friends, have a wonderful day. Um, tomorrow we're back on DPP. Don't forget, oh, don't forget Sunday, film screening in Chinese, 8 p.m. You don't want to miss it. Monday night, the scribe workshop. Definitely don't miss that. And the party rolls on retreat next week. My handouts are being printed today. That's it. We went to press. It's, it's official. It is official. All right. Now, how many people? Oh, yeah, yeah. We were speaking about, that, speaking about that before. My understanding is as of, I think, last week, there were over 500 people um, that had booked, like, to stay in the hotel. So I would imagine that the number is going to go up. It's probably going to be, and plus the local, you know, our local community that's from all the local communities that will be coming around. I would put it probably at seven, eight hundred people. Nice. I think. Yeah. Give or take. How many, how many, Papa, I mean, is there a number for the United States? Like, I mean, people involved with Papa? Oh, see, that's a tricky number. That's a, it's a, it's a bit of a tricky number to come up with because most Chabad's don't have a formal membership. Right. Um, it's more of like, you know, it's there's like the, the just come and join and, and 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 participate. You know, every Chabad kind of I guess has its own numbers. Are they aggregated in a in a? I don't know. I, I haven't been asked for numbers by headquarters, so I don't know how anyone would get our numbers, so to speak. I know there's a topic. I, one of the topics I believe at the retreat is talking about the Pew study. Yeah, yeah. And, and Chabad, you know, involvement in Chabad was as growing, which he and yeah. It's probably underestimated, actually, what it is. My, from my understanding of the Pew study, from my recollection, it's over 30% of American Jews have uh, an association with Chabad. I think right. 30 to 40%, which is an incredible number. Um, I mean, how many people are involved with Chabad worldwide? I, it's got to be hundreds of thousands of people. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, if not more than, like much more than that. I, I, I don't even know how to put a number on that because I don't have, I, I just, it's like thrown out a number, but it's, it's a lot of people. It's a ton of people. Anyway, all right. We'll see you all soon. Take care. Bye.